Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You love it, you want it, you got to have it. It's the mailbag question segment of the week. We got all of those coming up for you answered 100% correctly. Or, hello, your money back. Also, we got some news uh, popping around, both uh, baseball, I guess, and, and the NFL. Let's start with the National Football League, Matt Ryan. Matty Ice, who is still owed some, what, $12 million from the Indianapolis Colts, is... Uh, in line to work, do a little broadcasting for CBS? Is that the network? That is correct. Columbia Broadcasting System, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I think he'll be great at that. Funny thing, here's the thing about Matt Ryan, I will say. And boy, it just doesn't seem that long ago that I, I was watching the Atlanta Falcons just absolutely take apart the New England Patriots in that Super Bowl. And it was, what, 28-3? to I believe that score sticks out to me for some reason. Correct. And, of course, we know the rest of the story. Tom Brady, greatest Super Bowl comeback of all time. Uh, wins that game in overtime. They make a movie about it, 80 for Brady, like all that stuff, right? So poor Matt Ryan's had to go, you know, watch the premiere of, you know, this 80 for Brady, which is, I guess, the last 20 minutes is like a recap of that second half. At any rate, I'll say this about Matt Ryan, because at that time, I think he was around 32, 33 years old. He's going to be 38 uh, tomorrow, or yeah, the next day, Wednesday. Um, and he's one of those quarterbacks that play in this league that were very, very capable of going across the line to extremely good to great, to, you know, to, to great and Super Bowl champion. He was a league MVP one year, I believe, the year that they won the, the one they went to the Super Bowl. Mm hmm. And had tremendous uh, record in Atlanta in terms of just wins and losses. Made them relevant, got them in the playoffs. And, and also consider this, was really the guy that more or less replaced Michael Vick, which was hard to do in Atlanta. Because Michael Vick was, you know, like the Michael Vick experience. It was phenomenal, especially in that city. People were still wearing his jerseys to, uh, to the stadium. And so there are these quarterbacks that come along and I think Philip Rivers is in this category. Although Philip Rivers, will, is he in the Hall of Fame? He probably will be, right? If he's not already, I don't think, I don't he's, think he's been out long yet. enough at this point. I think he will be because I just think he played so long in one. And I think I, I mean, you could make an argument for Matt Ryan too, just in terms of his his wins and losses. And again, it, when it gets down to it, people say, "Yeah, but you know, didn't did he win a Super Bowl? Did he go to Super Bowl?" There are quarterbacks, many of them, in the Pro Football Hall of Fame that did not win a Super Bowl, including Dan Marino and and others. Um, Jim Kelly went to a bunch, but you know what I'm saying? So I think Matt Ryan will be in that conversation, but man, but for just, you know, the comeback of the ages, right? Um, history is different to him and who knows? They had a really good team the next year too. Who knows what they would have done had they, had they won that Super Bowl? but 
Um, I guess he's so Steve. Correct me if I'm wrong. He did not actually retire. He has not hung up the the idea of playing again. But he's he's merely going to continue uh, looking to do that, but also do work for CBS. Yeah, he's gonna. He's not retiring. Now, granted, he's paid twelve million dollars. There's no offset for media work, ah. so he gets paid in addition to. If he goes play yes, somewhere yes. else, signs you know a couple million dollar deal, that gets offset from the Colts' money, right? So he might be in the best interest to go do media this year and then go play quarterback next year. If there's go no back money. and play next year, yeah, pick a better spot, yeah. That's one. You know what? When he went to the Colts, that's one where I was like, "That's this is going to work." Like I, I was sure that this was going to work, especially after what they'd gone through with Carson Wentz and whatnot. Because the Colts had, uh, they had Taylor who can really run the ball. They had pretty good offensive line. Uh, I didn't know how good their defense was, but they had some players. And I really, really bought into in the offseason when they, I thought that was a perfect fit, you know. And and then it wasn't. <laughs> and I don't know I don't know if that was coaching or the, the scheme wasn't right or they, they didn't have a lot of receivers outside of Michael Pittman. I know that. Um, but I just, I was stunned by that. I really, I would have bet that, 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 you know, that, that Matt had enough football left in him. Um, and if they could protect him and that might've been a problem that, uh, they'd run the ball well enough and, and, you know, they'd be good, but it just, it just didn't work out for him. And in baseball, some news for the Rays. Good news, actually, on both fronts. Yandy Diaz, who went out of the game the other day with a bit of a groin strain, and you don't know about those. (laughs) Lovey Smith used to say, Hamstring, I mean a hamstring, but a groin, a groin. He would say groin. <laughs> you don't know about a groin, uh, and you don't know about a groin. And uh, apparently, it's day to day, and I think that's better than you know fifteen day disabled list or something like that. Uh, so that's encouraging. And then Pete Fairbanks, who's had a couple ailments, I guess, uh, since we last saw him pitch, he's expected to return. Uh, as well today against the uh, the New York Mets. Uh, the Rays had a rare day off in the Big Apple. We'll see, uh, see if they made curfew or not. But uh, So that's, that's encouraging for... Well, you hope P- Pete Fairbanks can help stabilize that bullpen, which has struggled. Oh, yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, if he can take the ninth inning in most games... Sure. You know, that puts Jason Adam back to the eighth inning, and then it mm-hmm. kind of slots everyone back to where Correct. they're more comfortable. And that, mm-hmm. that's what you're hoping his presence could be. And he even talked about it. You know, he, he struggled watching the bullpen and, you know, wanted to be out there to help as they've been struggling of late. So um, anytime you can get Pete Fairbanks back, that's a good day for the race. Yeah, just hoping he can stay back and hope that you know, the condition he has where he loses feeling in his fingers based on uh, if it's a cold weather, mm-hmm. you hope they, they figure out something there um, because you certainly want him to pitch Somewhere in October, which could be above the Mason-Dixon line, so um, you're going to need that. Uh, okay, we'll get to your mailbag questions. we got plenty of those, and uh, I want to say, first of all, we know how you can save money on your electric bill, and they're going up. The cost of electric is going up on all the time. It's called May Electric Solar. They're a family-owned and operated business. They've been installing solar electric systems in this area for 13 years. A lot of these companies are out there, but May Electric Solar is, to, is committed to you for the long term, they guarantee their workmanship with a 30-year labor and services warranty. That's a lot of years there. Plus, with every installation, you get $750 worth of surge protection for all your appliances. That's what they're calling the May difference. If you visit their Hudson showroom, 
MedLectric displays all their products and conduct on-site testing. You can see what they're going to install. Plus, they do not use some contractors, all those people up there with the solar panels on the roof. Those are Billy Mays guys, and you know exactly who is doing the job. So start saving today. Call the solar energy experts, May Electric Solar, at 727-819-2862. You can schedule a free estimate, lower your electric bill all year long, preserve those appliances. It's May Electric Solar at 727-819-2862. All right, so we got some uh, mailbag questions. I know there's some about the raising the buck, so let's get started. We'll start with Sean, who emailed you. It's a little lengthy here. Since it's obvious the Rays have swagger and confidence we have never seen from this franchise. I believe this is largely due to young players hitting their prime simultaneously. Inevitably, the team will hit a slump, as all teams do. Do you believe the team has the leadership capable of harnessing the egos when times get tough? The Rays' way of pulling pitchers and rotating the lineup is brilliant when winning, but could cause chaos if the bottom drops out. Additionally, do players respect Kevin Cash enough to trust him and the Rays' way during those tough stretches? There's no one like Cliff Floyd on the roster or a veteran coach like Don Zimmer around to lean on for guidance and perspective for the young players. Um, boy, there's a lot there. I don't know that I'm going to answer all of those in, in order, but I'll say this. I think what's happening with the Rays that, you know, in the past you would say, yeah, how about, you know, a veteran player that can come in here and, and, and sort of settle some of the young guys and teach them – Look, most of these guys are veterans now. They've been through some trials of their own. And so, you know, when they first came up, the two guys that I would point to in particular, right, are Josh Lowe and Taylor Walls, right? Like those guys, everybody knew they had talent. Taylor is one of the best fielding shortstops, uh, gloves, play anywhere, obviously, second or third or short. Um, and, and Josh, they thought, was going to be a superstar. And, you know, and this this is the process that occurs. Like the, you, you, you can only do so much in AAA. You kind of wear it out down there, and it's like now, okay, now's now's the time to bring them up and and get them going. But there's there's a lot of pressure with that, and they have to learn and adjust to life in the big leagues, to how pitchers adjust to them. And there's and and I think that they're more a little more too concerned about the results. You know, they see that batting average up there, that big scoreboard every every stadium they go to. And if you go for four, even if you hit three screamers, you're still, you know, you're pressing. And you're, there's self-doubt. And there's things that um, that you just haven't seen. You know, you haven't been in that arena. You haven't been in Yankee Stadium. You haven't been to Fenway Park. Like, you know, you got to calm the nerves. I mean, it's a failure sport. And they played it their whole lives, and they know that. But it's just different when you do it in front of, you know, forty-five thousand people at Yankee Stadium, um, as opposed to Durham. And so, I think those guys now know that they're good major league players, and they're both off to terrific starts, especially at the plate. I mean, Walls could do it with the glove, and for that matter, Lowe can too, because he can really run. He's a good outfielder. So they have veterans around them if they need them right? Guys that have been in the league for a number of years on this ball club already. But then you're young. Now you have something else, which is like superstars. They, I don't remember the Rays really going back almost to, you know, 2008 when they went to the World Series the first time. Like they have dudes, you know, Randy Rosarena, you know, um, I mean, Wander Franco, you know, Yandy Diaz, who's a veteran player that has gotten better each year and is, you know, 
terrific layoff uh, leadoff man, and now just you know hitting a long ball. I mean, a lot of these guys now. Taylor Walls on pace to hit what twenty thirty home runs for God's sakes, and he wouldn't even play in every day. So you've got a lot of guys all the way up and down and through that lineup. I was listening to an interview they had uh, Brandon Brandon Lau and Josh Lowe. That's not confusing enough on MLB Network because they're in New York and they had a day off. So I guess they went to their studios and they were both kind of talking about it. And they were like, you know, in spring training, we're all kind of scattered. It was weird because we were in Orlando for a while. We couldn't go to Port Charlotte because the hurricane destroyed the facility. Then we were in St. Pete for a while, but then the minor league team wasn't with us when we moved back here. And, you know, some guys were playing in the World Baseball Congress and all that. And then, then finally, right before the start of the regular season, they got together and they started the season, and bam, it was like, yeah, we're really good when we're all here. You know, like, they, they had not put it together in the spring because of various, you know, factors. And, and of course, they went on that 14-game that win streak. And they early on, they understood that, like, this is a special group of players. And it was the same group of guys last year, um, but they had been through some stuff together. So I don't think the egos, they do have swagger because they're good, and they know it. It's not a question of, you know, when will this happen is, or if will this happen? It's like, no, it's happening. And, and so I don't think that's going to go away. Injuries are the big thing. Uh, as far as the Rays way, I think you kind of buy into that when you join this organization. I've been drafted mm-hmm. here. Obviously you don't have a choice, but so many of their pitchers have come here for that, uh, to be part of the Rays way, because how many guys have they gotten here? And the next thing you know, um, you know, they're, they're pitching better than they have anywhere in their careers. And everybody goes, wow, what did they see? And, you know, we talked about it. It's, you know, spin rate. It's increased velocity. It's like, you know, using the swing and miss pitches more. And, you know, maybe you don't have to, you know, go six innings. Maybe you can contribute going the first two or the last two or the middle two. So there's a buy-in when you're part of it. Um, And I think Kevin's cast his job while he does a tremendous job of it, and it's probably hard in some respects, probably easier now because people can see the banners hanging, right? They've won the American League East a couple of times. Like they've, they've done some stuff. They've been to a World Series recently. So I don't think it's as hard as maybe it was a number of years ago. Um, but, yeah, I don't know if I answered any of those questions. But I just think that, you know, they their guys now as a group have tremendous belief and confidence in each other. And it seems like they're close. Now, I've always said this. It's a chicken and the egg thing, right? Or is there a good culture and that's that's why they're winning? Or when you win, it's a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> and there, it, it helps your culture tremendously. I think the culture is winning. And no one has won, was there three teams or they're one of the top three or four teams record-wise in the last, mm-hmm. I don't know how many years. So that culture, and that that exists. You know, that 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 is one thing that many major league clubs right now recent culture, recent winning culture, they don't have, and the Rays haven't in bundles. All right, Doug had emailed us. He said, what is the device the first base coaches carry in their pocket and pull out when a man is on base? It looked like the Yankees' first base coach was timing the runner when he used it, but I don't see why he would do that. Both the Yanks and Rays' first base coach use it and carry it in their pocket attached to what appears to be a wire. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, Steve, and I haven't talked to a first base coach in a while. I believe that is called a stopwatch. Yes. Uh, and what they're measuring is uh, when the pitcher makes a move to first base, 
uh, and and then throws the ball or gives him the the A move, if you will, in in a, in a pickoff attempt, not just lobs it over there. Um, but but even when he doesn't, the, what they're what they're measuring is the time it takes him to deliver the ball to home plate out of the stretch. So that gives the base runner roughly an idea. You know, is he long to the plate? Is he short to the plate? Does he, you know, does he vary um, sort of what his what his routine is? Um, you know, does does he leg kick one time and then take a short step the next time? Like you're just looking for any advantage you can, but primarily that thing in his hand, I believe, is a stopwatch, and they're trying to relate some information to the base runner to give him an idea of just how quick he is to the plate. Yeah, it's it's purely for base running and moves and and everything else, mm-hmm. so that you you know know whether you're going to steal or not. So. Mm-hmm. JP had, uh, I believe he tweeted us. Or no, this was an email. He says, curious, why did the Rays take a train to New York? I know Baltimore is extremely far from New York, but wouldn't a flight have been quicker, especially in the middle of a long road trip and after a 640 game? Um, I've not talked to the Rays about this. I don't know if it is quicker, to be honest. By the time but you I, take a yeah, bus to the airport. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, and TSA. You'd still go through TSA, mm-hmm. and you may do do that to some extent with the train too. Um, but it may not be quicker. And the one thing I'll, I know about Baltimore in particular, like they were coming from, you know, that's that Baltimore, D.C. area. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, There is right there at the ballpark. I mean, the station is literally – what a couple of blocks away, maybe yep. if that. Yep, you can catch that train not far from the from uh, Camden Yard, Oriole Park, Camden Yard, mm-hmm. and it'll take you to New York. So, I'm guessing that you know by the time you got on a bus, got everybody loaded up, got to the airport, got everybody unloaded, even if they took you to a charter flight, loaded everybody up again, flew somewhere, unloaded people to a bus. Like I'm just guessing that they probably would have chewed up more time than what it took them to just get on the train and go. Plus, and this is not a small thing, culturally, I'd take a train every day. I mean You have more room to um, spread out. Lots of more room. You can sit there at a table and play cards and like, you know, it's wider than 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 an airplane typically. Um you're not in an airplane seat per se. It's just it's just better, man. And that and it's a little bit of old school too, a little bit of nostalgia. Like that's you know that's how the ball players used to travel back in the day, and um, and so you get to have a different bonding experience. So I think it was all of that. You know, probably convenience, probably um, something different. You know, the one thing you try to do whenever you um, are in a major league season, 162 games, is is break monotony when you can. Right? Anything that's different is cool, and that's why you know back in the day, like Joe Madden would have the theme. You know. Uh, getaway days and you know sort of the the road trip mm-hmm. attire and stuff um it, it was just merely to break the routine you know to get guys loose you know to to take to take the drudgery of travel and and all because it's a long road trip so i, I believe that's why they did it i haven't yeah. talked to anybody but i, I would imagine that i it. had wondered if they were going to switch hotels in new york just to break up that monotony instead of what seven or yeah. eight nights in a row I, I believe they're staying in the same hotel the whole trip so yeah, they okay. stay in. They that stay in. Sense. You know, Manhattan. They Midtown Manhattan. Yeah. You, you bus out to the Bronx Queens and then Queens. And Bronx, yeah. So, but I had wondered if they were going to switch just to break it up, but I don't think they did. So, yeah. Well, the good thing about staying in the same hotel is listen to uh, BA and those guys talk about like the advantage of playing as long as they are in New York was because players are creatures of habit, and I mean, you know, some guys have to eat 
Wade Boggs used to have this thing where he had to eat at the same time every night and the same meal, and he'd go hit batting practice at the same time, all that stuff. Um, but because they're creatures of habit, you you travel so much that you know you have to learn. Hey, where's my Starbucks? Right? Where where's my you know my coffee place or where's my breakfast place or where's and you know by staying in the same hotel they'll get into a routine they'll figure that out early and then they have their routine for the whole week you know as opposed to okay let's go to another hotel and i gotta figure out where i'm gonna do these things so that's an advantage too michael had tweeted us he says since 1998 what past race team can you remember that's as talented and has the most likability factor than this team I that's a tough question. I mean, I thought they were pretty likable when they, you know you remember the crazy game four with Brett Phillips and the whole walk off and the, you know mm-hmm. the airplane thing and it, to me that was a really likable team. Um, yeah, right. And Rosarena had, had just busted on the scene. I mean, went nuts. Remember, mm-hmm. he just went crazy in yep. the postseason. Uh-huh. Blake Snell was dealing that day. Of course, they'll forever be. Well, that wasn't that day. That was two day games later in oh, game two days. six. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. But yeah, that but that, that was that World team. Series team. I mean, Kiermaier and Brett Phillips, and yeah, I mean that was mm-hmm. a very likable team. Yeah, I think the team in '08 was likable. Mm-hmm. Uh, although some of that may have just been the whole going from a worst to first, the Devil yeah. Rays and worst to first, and mm-hmm. uh, but you had some great young players like but Longoria, Longoria was a rookie, and David BJ Price Upton and, was a yeah, yeah, BJ, yeah, yeah, yeah. You had some Stud Carl Crawford, right? Like yeah, I, I don't know if there's ever been a Rays team as talented as this one. I can't remember. I mean, starting stat. Assuming they were 100 percent healthy. Oh, Glass now, McClanahan, Rasmussen, Springs. No way. I mean, yeah. I mean, they, had they, they had they had Shields and Price and and Garza and mm-hmm. they had some. Mm-hmm. You know, and then Archer followed and Cobb. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they've had some great starting pitches, but I don't know if there's a starting rotation better than that one if they're all healthy. Right. Right. I don't think they've had they two lost. superstars like a Rosarena and Franco. Who are still not at their peak yet? Right. I mean, I think you could see like this. The you know again, like Longoria's rookie year, he was awesome. Mm-hmm. Up, BJ Upton was playing really great baseball. So they had some, and superstar might not be the word you'd use with BJ as you look back mm-hmm. now. But there was a time when he was a damn good center fielder and mm-hmm. did a lot of things, hit home runs, and um. But yeah, no, I would agree with you. You've got two bona fide, and really. You can't overlook this guy. Like Yandy Diaz, mm-hmm. man, has been just a tremendous player for them. You know, for all that he does, um, his ability to play third and first, uh, lead off, hit with power, hit for average, have a you know four four hundred on base percentage plus. He's another guy that's just great. You know, so they've got a number of them, and the ones they brought in, you know, uh, have have all kind of meshed well and and mm-hmm. have have contributed and. I think their catching situation, I mean, gosh, I mean, Christian Betancourt, I mean, Betancourt's been great for them, you know, and uh, both, you know, with the power in and behind the plate. So it's been a while since you've seen this deep of a lineup, mm-hmm. um, this diverse, righty or lefty, like there's not there's not really any holes in it, you know. It used to be, well, if they get past the fifth hitter, you know, you're looking at 12 outs but um, throughout the course of a game, but not, no, you can't really say that anymore. All right, Tommy had written us. He says, hey, Rick, any reason why Yanni Chirinos is not in the rotation and instead is working behind an opener? Are the Rays limiting his innings? 
I think as he's working his way back a little bit, they they want to you know kind of see where he can best be utilized. I would not be surprised if Yanni Chirinos winds up eating up a lot of these innings and maybe even starts. You know, um, I there think, is this I idea. think for guys like Yanni and there's a handful of others, they mm-hmm. really like starting them with the six hitter, the seven hitter, the eight hitter in the order. Not starting okay. with your best hitters at the top. I mean, that's that's really what the opener did. Is you brought in a, and Ryan Stanek was really good at it when he was with the Rays, and mm-hmm. you bring in a guy who's throwing ninety eight, firing it in, mm-hmm. gets through your first four, five, six hitters, hopefully. Yep. And then then your guy who comes in for the ball inning starts with some, we'll say lesser hitters. Down in the order, you know, you kind of yeah. kind of ease into it a little bit, and and you know, but it also the top hitters, the guys, your best hitters in the lineup, batting when one, they two, come three, back four. Around they're facing somebody different. Yeah, they're facing all of a sudden their first two at bats. They're facing two different guys, and right. the hitters don't mm-hmm. like that. They'd rather right. they want to see you as many times as possible. Absolutely. And so, if you're not if you're not sold on the pitcher. As being you know ready to, to to go in in your top of the top of the order type pitcher, top of your rotation guy, then the opener sometimes helps these guys. Mm-hmm. Doesn't work for yeah, everyone. Ryan Yarbrough it seemed like it worked. He was much better behind an opener mm-hmm. than when he started. It seemed right. And Ryan Stanley couldn't close, but he was great. He was great as an innings. opener. Yeah. Yeah, um, which is weird, you know, and that's kind of the thought behind the opener. I don't think they're limiting Torino, although coming back from injury, maybe that is part of it too. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, it's really about trying to put the pitcher in the best position to go as deep as possible and to get as many outs. And if you start with hitter six, seven, and eight instead of one, two, and three, and you know, you get to those, those the one, two, three hitters later, you know, your second or third inning, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Then you maybe have a little more success as you're you're dialed that's, in you're 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 set you're kind of in a groove. That's a big part of it. I think I think a lot of times too is like when they use those openers. Very often it's a guy that can throw really hard, you know, mm-hmm. uh, at times. And so he might go out there for an inning and he's he's pumping ninety seven, ninety six, ninety seven, ninety eight miles an hour fastballs up there. That's hard for anybody to get a hold of first time through, first time you see him. And then for a guy like Chirinos, he's heavy sinker guy, right? So, you know, he's not going to necessarily overpower people, but the first time through there's so much movement that, that he's hard to pick up, and then he's totally opposite of what you've just faced. Like you're, you're trying to create a contrast, mm-hmm. whether it's righty, lefty, um, you know, hard stuff, soft stuff, sinker ball, arm ball, angle, you know, whatever it is. Arm angle, yeah, yeah. I mean, a weird arm angle. Like you're just trying to give them a different look. But, but it might take an inning or two or even one or two times through the order to get on top of that sinker, you know, whereas if a guy's just pumping fastballs, then everything's hard. Second time up, you're going to adjust, you know, pretty quickly to that. Um, so, yeah, they're just trying to piece it together and put them put everybody in the best position to – but I think Chirinos is a guy who has and can start games. Um, and I think now, you know, that you might be without – I don't know. I mean, you're definitely without some starters until you get Glasnow back. Mm-hmm. You've lost Jeffrey Springs. Um, you've Rasmussen. lost uh, Drew Rasmussen, so you're going to have to find ways. I think he's a guy that could do it, um, as he he also is getting gaining his confidence because he was out for a long time, mm-hmm. and so the longer he's out there, the more comfortable he feels on the mound. 
you might see him start a game here. Uh, but he's going to definitely pick up a bunch of bulk innings. And I thought he's done a really good job. I think he's getting better every time he goes out there. And he's so appreciative of just playing again, you know, with what he's been through. So um, you're going to see more of Yanni for sure. All right. Daniel had asked, uh, how does the announcement by the Orlando Dreamers group impact the Rays organization in their pursuit of a new ballpark site? Well, I, I mean, this feels to me like about the third or fourth iteration of Pat Williams who is the old Orlando Magic, uh, was he a GM or something over there, um, that he's tried to pursue Major League Baseball for Orlando. And, you know, the hook being or the finance being, you know, the the tax revenue that apparently is possible or available over there. I mean, uh, it, when you say we'd be perfect, we could get this done, now we just got to figure out how to pay for it. Yeah, like you and everybody else, you know, um, would the Rays could could they do it over there? Could they make money? I I suppose it's kind of a touristy co- you know community, obviously with with the the mouse and everything over there. But again, I these are not easy projects to build, or you would have had one here in Tampa and or St. Petersburg years ago. So are the Rays? You know, would should they look at Orlando? They should look at everything. You know, um, Major League Baseball should look at it too. All of Central Florida is growing and growing fast, but I, I don't. I think Tampa Bay is probably where where Major League Baseball wants them to be. That's why they nixed the Montreal plan, um, and so they've got a lot of a lot of history, a lot of sweat equity in this area, and they and they they really are. I I, I feel like they think they're close to making something happen here, so I don't think it's going to happen in Orlando, um, at least with the Rays. But you know. He pops up, you know, with uniforms. And, you know, he's, this is like at least, like I said, the second or third time that he's kind of pitched this. And every time it's when there seems to be, you know, a lot of consternation about what the Rays are going to do. And, you know, they're having trouble. And no one's made a decision yet about where they're going to be, Tampa or St. Pete. So I'm not surprised, but it it, it seems like I've heard this this song before. So, I don't have a much much faith until somebody shows shows me the money. Same as same as what they're trying to find out here is like how it's great. You could pick a site, you could pick which side of the bay you prefer, but until you've got shovels in the dirt and money to pay for it, it's just a bunch of talk and drawings. And so um I I, I don't think that the dreamers um is is something that's a threat right now, at least to uh to either Tampa and St. Petersburg for keeping the race. It's just the way I feel about it. Michael tweeted us. He asked, what's the latest news on the Rays Stadium talks, and what do you think is the appropriate amount of taxpayer dollar contributions? 25%, 50 50%, 75%? Uh, I think it's a sliding scale. I, the more I, I, I hear, the, what I hear, and I don't hear a lot, but what I hear is that the Rays being the group that was picked to uh, potentially develop that area around where the trop is now, um, with the, with the uh, you know the the plan being that they would build a stadium, um, you know, in the general area where the trop is, and then and then have the development rights uh, and or responsibilities for around it. I, I think that opportunity is so large um, in terms of potential revenue with the development that that would offset maybe. Uh, 
what would probably be a better site overall in terms of getting closer to the population and all that of of an Ebor city. It just feels to me like that's palatable, that's tangible to the Rays. Like we we could be part of this group that develops this area and draw all kinds of revenue from the development and not necessarily rely on tickets or, you know, they'd still build a hell of a stadium and it would still be in St. Petersburg, which a lot of people would not prefer. Um, but it would put money in the raise ownership's pockets big time. And, and so they could probably make the financing work. And really that's, that's what you're talking about in either case is like, it, you know, you can find a site probably whether it's Ebor or fairgrounds, wherever over there in Hillsborough County and you know you have one in downtown St. Pete, but it's about who's paying for it, how they're paying for it. As far as contribution goes, I mean, again, it's different if it's a development group, you know, versus just a singular owner that says, hey, I'm going to give X towards the stadium effort. I mean, you'd like to see them pay all of it. They never will. It's not the way the stadium game is played. Um, but it'd be sure nice for them to have, you know, a 50% stake in what was built. I also don't think that's going to happen. So, you know, that number is arbitrary in many ways. Like, you know, it depends on where, where that the actual costs are coming from. If it's from development, is it from taxes? Is it from, you know, I remember Raymond James was built and what seems to be pretty inexpensive these days, but uh, it was part of a tax referendum that they added uh, a construction of a new stadium for the Bucks as part of a referendum for a half-cent sales tax in Hillsborough County that was also going to go to fund emergency workers and schools. So who's going to vote against schools and emergency workers? And oh, by, oh, by the way, there's something here for a new stadium as well. So a lot of political football still yet to be played, and um, I don't know how much is the right amount, enough to get it built, enough to where it's not you know, all in the taxpayers' uh, backs, that would be nice for a change. But if they get development rights, if they're getting revenues from other areas, then, you know, that, that might help them contribute more as well. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. All right, we'll switch to the Bucks now. And Cliff had uh, emailed us. He says, I appreciate what Tom Brady did for the Bucks over the last three years. I'm glad he came here and the Super Bowl win was fantastic. But I'm glad he retired. There's no official statistic for what I call a surrender play. But I wish there was one. I bet Brady would lead the league by a mile. My definition of a surrender play is when a quarterback doesn't immediately like what he sees, so within two, two and a half seconds, he throws the ball at the feet of a teammate to end the play. He makes no attempt to extend the play. I don't blame a 45-year-old for doing this. But it turns first and ten into second and ten and second and eight into third and eight, etc. I think it's the biggest reason why the Bucks' offense was so bad last year. Too many times we played Canadian rules. Three downs to make ten yards instead of four because of surrender plays. I'm really excited to see Baker Mayfield and end the ten the end the ten plus surrender plays per game. I mean, here's what I'll say about Tom Brady, okay? And surrender plays you can call him you can call him that, I suppose. I would call it 
really smart football in, in most instances. And I know what you're saying, but understand this. That as bad as that offensive line was a year ago, and folks, it was bad, okay? Donovan Smith is not here because he was not good. Um, and he played eight seasons and was a pretty serviceable left tackle and won a Super Bowl and did a lot of great things. But the tape was not good, so he's gone. Luke Gedeke struggled mightily for seven games, moving from what was his natural position at right tackle to left guard. Not good, okay? You lost Ryan Jensen, maybe your best offensive lineman, the center, the guy closest to Brady, the one he relies on the most to get the line calls, all of that, gone. Robert Hainsey took over, not great. You know, Ali Marpet retired, and, you know, you're you're kind of like rotating guys like Nick, Nick Leverett and – um you know, they had Shaq Mason, who they've since traded because they didn't think he wasn't any good. Uh, they traded him to the Texans, and he just got a big deal with them. So it wasn't a great offensive line. Yet, despite all this, and the inability to run the football, because remember, they were last in the league in rushing, last in attempts, and last in yards per carry. In other words, they sucked running the football. But, it, you know, a lot of people would tell you at one buck place, well, we didn't run it enough. Well, okay. You want to run it enough, but you're running it for 3.4, so good luck. But having said all that, um, against that backdrop, the Bucks gave up the fewest sacks in the NFL. Listen to me now. The fewest in the NFL. 22. Why? Because Tom Brady wasn't getting hit. Tom Brady wasn't going to stand back there and get hit. You know, Tom Brady plays quarterback different than anybody has in the league ever. I mean, he's the greatest of all time, but he plays from the pocket. You're not going to see him scrambling. You're not going to see the bootlegs and the waggles and all the deception and all that. So because everybody knows where he is, that clock, that ball's coming out. And under the best of of times, it was going to come out in 2.5 or so. Well, when Brady felt he wasn't protected, which was often last year, it was coming out quicker than it ever has in his career, 2.2, 2.25, 2.3. And when you do that, you really limit the amount of plays that you can make down the field, right? Like these guys, they got to have time to win off the line of scrimmage at the very least. And so defenses knew the ball was coming out quick. Um, They were squatting on routes, making it very difficult. And, yeah, I think at times Brady was guilty of, you know, playing hot potato with that thing too much. He wasn't going to stand in there and stare down the gun barrel like he had, especially last year. I don't know if it's because he was 45, uh, closer to the end, maybe realizing this could be the last year and he didn't want to get hurt. Or he just, he understood this and he would say this to us all the time. And I've talked to him about it. It's like, look, I would rather lose two or three games and still be able to play the next one than to get knocked out and be done and not be on the field for my team. Because Tom Brady knew this. The only chance some days, and certainly the best chance, but some days the only chance that his team had to win was if he was playing. And if he's going to stand in there and take shots and potentially get hurt, he, he can't help them. He, that's, not, that's not what he was about. He's a zero-sum guy. Look at his record, his track record for, you know, he's, he's missed one parts of one season. Uh, he got the torn ACL, and he missed that season. After that, he's guys played – damn near almost or probably every single snap at a position where how many quarterbacks go down? I mean, it doesn't seem like, you know, there's some organizations can't keep a quarterback healthy. And Tom Brady is there for his team weekend, week out, every single week. 
And he's there because he's smart enough to read the coverage faster than most people and know when the, when the journey is over. You know, if, you know, rather than force a turnover, rather than take a hit unnecessarily and not get a big play out of it, he's just going to dirt it at times or throw it to the sideline, whatever he has to do. Um, so he can live to play another down. And that, to me, is the difference in Brady and a lot of quarterbacks in a good way. Now, was it a negative at times? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I, I, I don't think he, you know, without Bruce Arians, who was there probably to check him a little better than Todd Bowles was, um, you know, Bruce would call him out. Hey, Mr. Reed there, bad throw here. And everybody's like, <gasps> you dare and question the great, incredible Oz? You know, like, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to call it how I see it. It doesn't mean I don't like the guy, but, you know, I'm here to do that. You'd never get that from Todd Bowles, you know? And so, you know, Brady Brady played the position the way he felt he had to to help his team, to stay healthy, um, and to win. And so I don't find fault with him, but I would agree with you. We could all sit down and look at the tape and say, yeah, he's he's even for him. He's getting rid of the ball much sooner, and it must be because he doesn't test, trust his protection. And, oh, by the way, who would, right? Those guys just weren't very good in front of him. And so that that had a lot to do with it as well. All right, Jeff tweeted us. He says, Rick, I know you don't like draft grades, but what is your knee-jerk reaction to the Bucks draft class? 1 to 10, A through F, excellent to terrible, whatever grading criteria you'd like to use. Well, he said it. I don't like draft grades, but he's going to force me to give him grades. So I mean, you know, I don't like. I don't really you just like give him his money back if you want. Right. I don't. Like, I don't like spinach that much. But I'm not going to sit here and eat it on a podcast for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, what, what are we doing? <laughs> um, so, hey, Rick, you don't like something? Will you do it anyway? Um, sure. Because you guys are paying us so much money, we're going to do it. I'm going to give you a draft grade here for the Buccaneers. My draft grade is I had. I don't have the first clue. You know what I mean? Um, I think it was okay, you know? Like, look, I always say this. It seems to me, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me if you get the first-round pick or even just your first pick, whether that's whatever pick that is, right? Sometimes they've had their first pick was in the second round. If you nail that one, like if you hit that one out of the park for a nice home run, um, everything else seems to fall in well afterwards. Right, it just kind of feels that way with any team, and especially this one. So I would say, you know, if you're talking about Kalijah Cansey, okay, um, need position unquestionably. You need defensive tackles. You know, you don't have a Keem Spence. Um, you know, you don't have Will Golston. He's a different type of body that you've had in the past. He's not the you know the 335, 340 guy that you can sit next to Vita Bay and have 700 pounds of defensive tackle, which is pretty awesome at times. But also, what have we found out? That they make those big guys run. You know, they're going to slam it up into the brick wall. They're going to go perimeter on you. So if, if Cansey is all that they say he is, and of course he draws comparisons to Aaron Donald because A, he went to Pittsburgh, and B, they're exactly the same size and play with the same sort of tenacity, and they can rush the passer which you don't get very often. So it's sort of an evolution. If that works, if he's that guy, then I think it makes the other draft picks better. You know, I think it kind of just kind of falls in line after that. You know, 
Um, when they drafted Tristan Wirfs, yeah, that was going to work out. That draft was going to be okay. And then they followed it up with an Antoine Winfield Jr. I think you're going to like that draft a lot, looking back at it. Even if it's just those two players, right? One of them is going to put on a gold jacket. Maybe both. But I think Tristan Wirfs, if he stays healthy, and you know, knowing what matters to him, the kind of guy he is, and how great he is with his feet, He's going to put on a gold jacket, which, you know, not many players have been drafted that went to the Pro Football Hall of Fame for the Buccaneers. So, Kansi will be the key. And then you'll have to see if, you know, guys like Yaya Diaby and, you know, some of the other players uh, that, you know, Sebastian Dennis, like some of the other, if some of those other guys turn into dudes, then it's going to be like a fantastic draft. But, but even if you don't in the later rounds hit on anybody, as long as you remember, you know, that Kalijah Kansi's a baller, right? And maybe there's one or two other guys that follow up that are pretty good too. That's the key to me. And I don't know what to tell you about Kansi. Everything I hear, everything I've heard and seen tells me he's going to be a really good player in this league for a long time. But But I don't know. You know, like, this draft felt to me like they needed an offensive tackle. They didn't get one. Now you're not going to reach. You know you don't want to reach for a guy because that's that's how you make mistakes. Is if you you know you go for the best player of a position of need instead of just best, the best player. So I think they did a good job. First of all, I think they're all great guys. I think they, I think the one thing the Bucks have evolved at is they've really you know found guys that it matters to them. Like everything matters to them. Grades in school matter to them. Uh, work ethic, uh, you know, their family background, their captains of their teams. They've gotten better character guys. You can identify talent. A lot of people can do that. You know, there's a whole college in- a cottage industry of people getting paid to identify the draft talent. And they rank them and they do the mocks and all of that. But can you identify the player, you know, the person? Because it's more than just talent to stay here. You know, that'll get you here. But who's going to stay here and be productive? What do they care about? They care about money. They care about, you know, why are they doing this? They love football or it just brings them nice things. Like, do you really love the game? Would you play for a lot less? Like, you know, I think the Bucks have done a better job of that. So I'm willing to say that I think they had a good draft. I don't know that it's a great draft. And so for that reason, I would give them, you know, probably a B because I think, I think they got some special players, but have no clue, you know, four, five years from now, what we're going to say about this draft class. All right, Joe had written us. He says, Rick, I'm going to be a realist. You need an elite quarterback and a head coach to win in the NFL. The Bucks have neither. With the 24 draft being stacked at quarterback, we need to be relatively close to the top. If Todd Bowles gets fired, please tell me the team would lean offensive head coach. Well, you, I always say this. You get what you didn't have. Right, and you can go through the history of the Bucks and and their hiring practices. Is they always got somebody they didn't have. Okay, so what do I mean by that? Well, let's go back to John Gruden. All right, that they what man that that surprised everybody. They they John wins the Super Bowl. He's there for a number of years. He just he had just re-signed a three-year deal, and you know he's an offensive guy but he loves veterans, right? And he's an experienced coach. He's a successful, experienced coach. Um, 
but he's constantly chewing up the roster. He wants his veterans, which means spending money on free agents. The Glazers don't want to do that. They have three uncapped years. So, boom, they they fire John. And who do they hire? Guy, never been a head coach before, right out of the box, African-American, young guy, very young guy, 32 in, in Raheem Morris. Um, and somebody, quite frankly, that they could manipulate from a personnel standpoint. You know, they even hired his coordinators. And so you had a guy that was heavy-handed with his assistants, wanted, knew what he wanted in terms of personnel, basically ran off Rich McKay as the GM, brought his own guy in and Bruce Allen, who was kind of a puppet for him. Um, and he was running things. And then you took your franchise back and you said, no, we want Mark Dominic to run things on behalf of us because this is our franchise. And Raheem Morris will be so grateful that he's the head coach at 32 that he'll do what we want, the defensive guy. So it was the opposite, right, African-American. So then you go from Raheem to, now you know what? We had the inexperienced guy that had never been a head coach before, and boy, did he lack head coaching experience. And he was too much of a player's coach, right? And so our teams aren't very disciplined you know what we need? We need somebody different than Raheem Morris. So we need a proven head coach. We need a guy that's been a head coach before, know what it's like, right? So here comes Greg Schiano, right? Discipline as hell, right? That was the old soundbite we used to play on DAE of Kellen Winslow Jr. talking about how much he hated Schiano. He's like, you know, he's out there, toes on the line, blowing the whistle, right? And he was a hard ass. <laughs> he was He was not... He was not, he was Joe College, man. And a lot of those players kind of, you know, got their backs up. Okay, so that that was a train wreck. Had a couple years of that, and so it's like, okay, what do we need now? Well, we need a guy who has done it in the NFL. You know, no more Joe College guy. We need a proven winner, and we also need a guy that understands the Bucks a little bit. You know, that can kind of calm the waters. We've just been through two tumultuous years with Greg Schiano, so we need for lack of a better term, Gerald Ford, right, took over after Nixon and Watergate and all of that. So it's like we need a calmer, gentler, but somebody we can trust, somebody that, that we know. Here comes Lovey Smith, right? Don't go leading the charge, right? Disappointed, I go back to discouraged. But Lovey Smith had averaged nine and a half wins a year in Chicago, proven winner. You've had him before in the building. He's a buccaneer man. He knows what it looks like. You know, and so you're you're kind of happy with that African American, you know, all of that, and of course that didn't go well. And I think more than anything, they wanted to save Jameis, and you ended up with Dirk Cutter, who had never been an NFL head coach. And then from Dirk Cutter, of course, um, you know, you got a guy with tons of experience in the league in Bruce Arians. So you always go for what you don't have. So in general, however. Most teams, I don't have the, although there's been a lot of defensive coaches win Super Bowls, especially if you consider Belichick as one of those. But it's it's a coach-quarterback league, and because of that, the closer the coach and the quarterback are to the side of the ball, generally the better you're going to have results with that quarterback. So I would say this, that I will be shocked if when, if and when the Bucks make a change at head coach that they don't get an offensive guy. I think they absolutely will. I think he'll be here to coach a young quarterback. But I still think the Bucs are going to win too many games to be either, you know, drafting one or two to get one of the really elite guys. 
Um, the NFC South is not good. And so for that reason, I think all the teams will, will be in it. And, and nine wins might win the damn thing. Might be one win better than last year. Um, certainly, I think 10 would do it for sure in my mind. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, I think, I think, you know, if they go, if they win nine games and either win the division or come close to it, top bowls is fine. If it doesn't work and they flame out early, he's gone. Like he has to win. Like this is a tough thing to do. And if he doesn't make the postseason, he better show a lot of progress, whether it's with Trask, whether it's with Bayfield, because Again, coach quarterback league. Quarterback has to stand up. That makes the coach stand up. And if one or one of those fall, then the other one's gonna gonna fall with him. So it's a very, very big year for Todd Bowles. He knows it. He's he's a little hamstrung because it couldn't spend the money because of the three years that they spent all the free agency money on on you know for Tom Brady and guys around him. Tough year, you know, tough year. And I don't I don't have a magic number. I, I think they're capable of winning this division if they stay healthy and they can and they can block people. You know, if that offense, if Dave Canales can run the football, and 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 this offensive line can block, um, then they'll have a shot. But um, we're just guessing at this point. All right, thanks for your mailbag question. You can submit those to us anytime. You don't have to wait for a mailbag segment. Just do that on Twitter at SportsDayTV. You can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud or my email address is rstroud at tampabay.com. Rays continue. Their series in New York, New York, this time in Queens to play the Mets. We'll have all the recap of that and much more tomorrow on our edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. Thanks for listening. For Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud, the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.